This podcast contains adult language and content. The stories in this show can be frightening and disturbing for some. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 5, Episode 5 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. creepy encounters in my life, being that I'm a young woman who loves to go out at night. Luckily, I'm a young, paranoid woman, so I make sure to stay diligent and watch my back. This event happened around fall of 2019, so just a little over a year ago. During that time, I used to go out with my best friend and run around the city's downtown area very late at night. We're both fairly short, for reference, and don't really dominate the spaces we're in. So she and I are walking down the empty streets, with nothing to do but talk and enjoy the atmosphere. Then out of the corner of my eye, I notice moving. I turn to look at who or what it is, and I see a man. He looks to be far enough so that I don't have to worry too much and keep my distance. My friend is pretty perceptive as well and picks up on his presence almost immediately. We look at each other, unsure, but continue to keep walking. At this point, I'm a little paranoid, but I brush it off as nerves. I figure seeing anyone in the streets at this hour would be unnerving, so I continue on. The problem becomes apparent once we get to a McDonald's. We go inside, order food, and sit down in one of the booths. A few minutes pass, and my friend looks over my shoulder and immediately kicks me in the leg. I wince, and she kept signaling me to look over my shoulder where she was staring. I nonchalantly turned my body, and to my horror... I see an older gentleman looking straight at me and her. He's dressed in some kind of brown tracksuit with a balding hair pattern and unkempt facial hair. He seemed under the influence of something as his head kept bobbing up and down creepily. There was something so unnerving about his stare as well, as if he were undressing us with his bloodshot eyes. I still remember freezing up when I realized it had to be the man that we saw earlier, making my skin crawl with instinctual uneasiness. We finished quickly after that and left through the door opposite 
to where he was sitting. We both recognized the bad feeling he left with us, though both of us just attempted to brush it off as paranoia. There was no proof that he was following us, so for a couple of seconds I held on to the idea that perhaps he was just going out for a 1 a.m. snack. But as soon as we walked down the steps from the exit, the man in the brown tracksuit came out. There was no reason for him to come out the same door. It was the opposite of where he was sitting, and there were no cars in the parking lot. We both looked at each other, our blood running cold. I took my friend's wrist, motioning for us to walk faster. We sped up our walking pace, trying to look calm, and went to the end of the block. We kept glancing behind us, noticing his eyes were locking right on us. My friend and I were looking at each other with panicked faces, as this man was nearly a foot taller than us and had a looming build, the scariest part and stupidest decision on both of us was when we decided to take an unlit path behind a convenience store to try and get away. We realized our mistake pretty quickly as the man picked up pace when he saw where we were headed. He got close enough that I could notice a metallic object in his hand. At that point, I completely and utterly panicked and broke into a sprint, my heart beating faster than it ever had before. My friend got the memo and sprinted as well, both of us essentially running for our lives. And I swear, I will never forget what that man yelled as he chased us down that alleyway. Stop. Fuck. Stop. I'll make you fucking stop running. After he spoke, I knew that we couldn't let up until he left us alone. We eventually saw him slow down to a stop as we reached the quieter suburban area. Feeling more safe, but our guards not fully down, we slowed our pace. I remember pulling out my phone and calling my mom instead of an Uber, like I had originally planned for the night. It was around 2 a.m. by now. I just couldn't bear the thought of getting into the car with another stranger. As soon as my mom picked us up, I just started bawling. She was tired but instantly recognized that I need help. We waited a little bit, watching intensely for any sign of the man. We were eventually picked up and kept the ordeal to ourselves, also choosing not to go through with any form of report as not to alarm either of our parents. I haven't seen him since that day. Our town is relatively large and COVID hit, so I haven't gone out like I used to. But now I know to carry pepper spray at all times and not to take any chances with strangers at 2 a.m. So creepy man in the brown tracksuit, let's not meet. About 15 years ago, when I was 22, my best girl and I went out to the bars three or four nights a week and generally met some interesting people and made new friends. There were a few bars that we hit up more than others, and one in particular, where we knew the bartender and the manager pretty well. 
We went the week of Halloween, and each night, their staff would dress up in a different Halloween costume. This is where we came across Ron. He was bouncing at this bar and didn't even catch my eye in the slightest as I gave him my ID to get in. Up until a few years ago, I never looked anyone in the face. I have to force myself to do it. My girl and I hung out, drank, danced, and met some people. Then we headed up to the bar to chat with our friend. He asked me what I thought about Ron. I had no idea who he meant, and he gestured to the bouncer. He was older-looking, very muscular, turned out to be a major gym rat. I was around 22, dressed in black and skulls and platforms. Didn't seem my type on the outside, but the bartender friend vouched for him and said he was a really cool guy. He asked if he could give Ron my number, and I figured he would be okay. I hear from him the next day, and he wants to hang out. At the time, I lived with my uncle and aunt, a pastor and his wife, so he invited me to meet him at his place, and we would just go have a casual hang somewhere. Simple, middle-of-the-day chill. I get there, and his apartment door is wide open, and his much-better-looking and married best friend, who's closer to my age, is there. He seems nice enough, and I didn't feel unsafe as they left the door wide open, and again, my bartender friend had vouched for him. He mentions that he needs to grab a few office supplies, so the three of us pile into his douchey car and head to an office supply store. We go in, and as we walk in, a pretty girl walks by, and he does the head thing and completely stares at her, like obviously following her with his head. We aren't together, but I found it to be rude. So later in the car, I mentioned it. I told him, hey, look, I know we're just hanging out, but don't disrespect me like that. Everyone looks, but be less obvious. And don't make me look like an ass in public. He laughed and told me that it's hot that I stood up for myself, especially on our first hangout. We get back to his place, and we walk inside, and he says, I like that. You're going to have a ring on your finger by December. Remember, we met on Halloween week. So anyways, his friend leaves. We get takeout. We hang and drink and just talk. Turns out he's from the same tiny town that my parents are from, which is six hours south of us. He is a Desert Storm veteran, which made him more than 20 years older than me, and he was back in school to finish his degree. He worked full-time during the week and bounced at night and on the weekends. Seemed decent. He asked about my tattoos. I have a lot of them. And we talked about love of horror and fascination with true crime and serial killers. He seems interested, but he says that he doesn't know much about them. So I tell him I'll lend him my encyclopedia of serial killers so he can have a sort of crash course. Maybe a week later, we hang out again, and I bring him the book. We hang multiple times. I even sleep there a few times. One day, we're hanging out and day drinking pretty heavily. He says something to me that felt very much like he was getting way too comfortable, way too fast, like telling me to do something. I told him not to speak to me that way and turned to walk away when I felt my head jerk back. He had grabbed me by my hair at the base of my neck. 
I grabbed my hand, and he tried to laugh it off and apologize, saying he didn't mean to be that rough, and tried to act like it was some sort of foreplay. But I cut that off real quick. I wanted to leave, but I was already very buzzed, so I just sat, and he said he was going to do some work. I thought I would just let the buzz wear off, head home, and then never talk to this guy again. While I'm sitting, and he's working, he suddenly decides to tell me in graphic detail about his favorite serial killer from the book so far, and why. I think the way he's talking about it, it, it just seems off. But again, I'm just waiting for my buzz to go away. He starts working on a sociology assignment that is studying urban legends and such. He plays videos with horrible, creepy content, and it's just creeping me out. I realize later that I felt that way because I didn't feel safe with him. I ask him to wait until I'm gone to play it loud or put on headphones, and he laughs at me. He tells me he can't believe I'm such a poser. He says, you have all these tattoos and skulls, and you are really scared. You look all goth and punk rock, but you're terrified. He laughs this really scary laugh. He's really enjoying that he's creeping me out. I don't want to drive even mildly buzzed, though. I tell him that his reaction is really scaring me. I love scary things, but I realize that this guy is enjoying watching me squirm in a really sick way, and he loves it. His face gets completely serious, and he suddenly tells me that he has his machete under his mattress. I look, and I see the handle barely sticking out. He tells me he could make me disappear, and nobody would ever find my body. In that moment, my adrenaline hit. I grabbed my bag and ran to my car. He sort of slowly lumbered behind me, laughing at me, telling me not to leave. I'm stone cold sober at this point. I guess it was the adrenaline. I start my car and I take off. About two minutes down the road by the mall, I just park and slow my breathing down. I call my friend and just unload. For the next week, he texts and calls me, over and over, switching between begging me to give him another chance and berating me, calling me a poser and a fake. I tell our bartender friend, and he can't believe that Ron did all of those things. He only works with him a few more times, and they don't talk. Ron set his sights on someone new, another chick in her early 20s. Her family owns a Vietnamese restaurant in the same strip as the bar. Bartender tells us Ron has just started seeing her and she ended up pregnant almost immediately. I asked the bartender to warn her or give her my number, but I never saw her again. I hope and pray that she didn't get stuck with Ron. And every time I'm in that area, I pray I don't run into him again. He can keep the encyclopedia. I just hope he hasn't picked up any tips from it. When I was in college, I was stalked by a random 50-year-old stranger 
who lived in the same small rural town as my college, but they did not attend the school. It all began at the first college football game of the year. I was an awkward, red-headed saxophone major who played bass drum in the college marching band. I was walking back with the rest of the drum line from the parking lot where we played for the tailgaters to stand for the game. On the way back, this woman with dark brown hair, a hoodie on with the hood up, and large glasses who appeared to be in her 50s walked up next to me. She said in the most tired, slurred, low-sounding voice that I had ever heard, Hi, do you know Kelly? Having met a lot of the parents of the band kids and passing on band trips and concerts, I assumed she was one of them, and I had just forgotten her name. So while she had her hoodie on during this hot summer day, and that freaked me out a little, I wasn't immediately alarmed. I replied, No, I'm sorry, I don't. She then said, while continuing to follow me to the grandstands, Do you know about the Holiday Inn incident? I said again that I was sorry I did not, and thought she may have the wrong person. She then launched into an entire story about how a man her age was luring girls to his hotel room at the Holiday Inn and filming them for porno sites. She knew a girl, Kelly, who had brown hair, who was one of them, and she said Kelly was a clarinet player in the band. There was no Kelly in the band, let alone a brunette clarinet player. I told her again I'm sorry and suggested that she contact the police. When we got back to the stands, she sat a few seats away from where the band was seated, higher up in the stands, just looking down at me. She continued to stare me down throughout the entirety of the game. Just a hooded figure with huge, dark sunglasses staring at me, not moving. It was less the glasses and hoodie and more the way that she would just stare without moving. Her whole body pointed directly at me, just staring. It finally made me uncomfortable enough after halftime, I told the marching band director what was happening. He looked up at her and immediately recognized her. He said just a few days prior, she had come into his office with the same story about a brunette clarinet player being involved in what she referred to as a porn ring and demanded this girl's information, address, etc., he obviously refused and assured her that there was no Kelly that played clarinet, or even a Kelly at all in the band. He thanked me for letting him know, and told me to keep an eye on it and report it if I felt I needed to. Over the course of the next few weeks, I saw her everywhere. She attended our fall jazz festival. I was both working at and playing in. She was at every single football game sometimes with this large, bald man who kind of resembled stone-cold Steve Austin. She would sit in the same spot in the stands and stare at me, make out with him aggressively, and then look back to stare at me again, almost as if to see if I saw her making out with this guy. The spookiest part 
is that by this point, she had tried to dye her hair red, just like mine, and had begun dressing like me and styling her hair the same as mine. Every time I saw her, she was wearing something similar to something I had worn that week. She started shopping at Ann Taylor, where I worked and would frequently show up in an item that I had recently purchased from the store and worn while working. It didn't hit me at the time, but she had to have been watching me at work, which was all the way in the neighboring city of Spokane. She had to be in order to be copying that particular wardrobe, which I only wore while working. Even then, I still didn't say anything. My boyfriend at the time lived across the street from the campus music building where a bunch of the music majors lived. A long, skinny white house that we all just called the White House. We all hung out there every night, jamming, grilling, and listening to records. I smoked at the time and would frequently sit on the porch and have a cigarette. That's when I noticed her, sitting in a car. In the dark on the corner was a hooded figure with dark glasses just watching the house. Her car was a bright magenta SUV, so it was almost comical that she thought she could blend in. Or maybe she wanted me to see her and be scared. Each time I would see her first and her car watching, she would then wait for someone to walk outside to smoke that wasn't me and would casually walk up and try to start conversation with them, asking them questions about me. It took three times of me seeing her standing outside or sitting in her car just watching the house before I called the police department. I didn't want to bother them. I was an idiot. Still, I had no idea what was happening or how serious this could be. I had never met this woman before that first football game and was literally the last person you would ever think would start a porn ring. The whole thing was just wacky. I called the local, very small police department to file a report, and I couldn't get through to a person, so I left a message as directed. I told them of the incidents and said that I didn't want to be a bother, but in case she escalates, I wanted to have something on file. I was able to luckily provide her name thanks to the marching band director whom she had given it to prior to that first football game. They never called me back. No one ever returned my call. As marching band season came to a close and winter set in, I saw less of her. She still attended every concert, but I didn't notice her following me around quite so much. If I saw something, I would usually record it in case, but shrug it off as it being a small town. There were a few times that I saw her very bright magenta car following me out of town, so I started going the back way through the woods rather than the freeway, but again, I still shrugged it off as just being a very small town. That was until late winter hit. I was walking across campus towards the music building when I received a call from an unknown number on my cell phone. I answered, and it was a woman with that same tired, slurry, and low-sounding voice 
saying that she got my phone number from the local music store where I worked and was looking for a saxophone teacher for her son. She didn't ask about rates like most. She just asked where I teach and if it was at my home and where I lived. I told her I taught at the music store and she wouldn't take that answer. She continued, So do you ever teach at home? What part of town do you live in? Are you in an apartment or do you live with your family? I knew it was her trying to get information. I told her I didn't have any openings for new students at this time and she began to get aggressive and emotional. She started screaming about how her daughter, at first it was her son, needed these lessons and that I had to tell her where I lived. I told her if she called the music store, they could refer her to another teacher, and I hung up. I walked right to the dean of the music building's office and told him what happened, and that's when it really got crazy. I told him the story, and he immediately contacted campus police rather than the local police station. A detective from campus was in the office within 10 minutes. I was in the middle of telling him the story when my phone started to ring, nonstop. It was my mom. She was really upset. She said that this woman had shown up at my parents' house in the valley, an hour east of my college town. The crazier thing, she had driven there during a massive snowstorm. She said my stepdad answered the door, thinking it was a tow truck driver coming to help pull her car out of the snow. When my stepdad answered the door, he was immediately suspicious of her because of the way she had her hands in her pockets and was moving them around like she may have had a gun. He was retired law enforcement and was hyper aware of odd behavior. She began mumbling things and eventually started saying my name. She asked if I lived there. This immediately tipped off my stepdad to there being something wrong. I hadn't lived with my parents since high school. Their address was unlisted, and even then, they had completely different last names than I did. She started acting erratically and kept moving her hands as if she were about to draw a gun. She quickly became more and more emotional, raising her voice, saying that she needed to talk to me and she knows that I lived there. Her eyes were darting around wildly, and she was walking back and forth in circles. She kept trying to look over his shoulder into the rest of the house. He told her he was going to call the police to get her help, at which point she went running down the driveway, turning around to yell, Your daughter's a porn queen, and I'm going to prove it. The porn queen must die. She began pacing around her car, sobbing and screaming back, the porn queen will die, over and over again. My stepdad, who's an army vet and retired law enforcement official, was terrified. He immediately called the police as soon as he shut the door. But keep in mind, this was a totally different city and completely different police department than the one that I called initially to file a report. The campus police began to stake out the White House across from the music building that same night. Over the course of the next few weeks, they watched her stalk me around campus, watch the White House all hours of the night, and even go down to the small city center to stake out the bars. 
during this time, several bars called to report a woman looking in the windows, yelling about finding the red-headed girl with the big tattoo on her leg. She went to the music department and tried to disparage my name to the professors and get them to divulge my address. She sat outside my classes watching, was seen following me out of town, and sitting outside my places of work. Luckily, I never had time to go home, so while she was able to find my parents' address online, she had no idea where I lived. By this time, the campus police had more than enough to aid me in getting a restraining order. As we compiled the information for the hearing, we discovered some very disturbing details. The first being that the phone call she made to me the day she asked for lessons was made from a junior high science classroom in a neighboring city of Spokane where she was a substitute teacher for the local school district. In the small town where I went to college, she was a school bus driver for the local elementary school. All of that is terrifying, but the worst part? Her husband was the dispatcher for the police department in my college town. He was the one who would have received that voicemail that I left at the beginning with the police, and it would have been his responsibility to follow up. I arrived at the hearing to see her there with her husband, a tall, skinny man with very long hair, the opposite of the man she used to bring to the football games. While it was her turn to speak with the judge, she claimed that she had been at a school reunion in Seattle that year where she reunited with an old flame who took her back to his hotel room when she saw all of his video equipment. She then claimed that she saw me walking out of the Air Force base with him that summer. She just kept yelling, the redhead with the big tattoo on her leg. Always followed by statements demanding to know where I lived and that I must be stopped. She went on and on about how she had seen a pop-up online for a porno site and I was the one on the pop-up. She said this man and myself were luring girls out of the college marching band and convincing them to do porn. We were running a porn ring. Throughout the course of the hearing, her mental and emotional state continued to devolve. She began yelling random, unrelated accusations, always bringing it back to the fact that she needed to know where I lived and that I must be stopped at all costs. The judge quickly granted the restraining order, which gave her even more ammo to find out where I lived, standing up and screaming at the judge that if she didn't know where I lived, how would she know where to avoid? She began to interrupt the judge, asking, what about this area? What about that? Until the judge finally said, ma'am, I am no longer going to placate your attempts at finding this woman's address. If you see her, turn around and go the other direction, and that's the last thing I'm going to say about it. I'll never know why she zeroed in on me or what truly caused this, but if you can believe it, this was a condensed version of all that happened in those many months of her stalking me. It was just the strangest experience. I shudder to think of all the times she was sitting outside of my job, the White House, and my classes, staring at me in that hoodie behind those sunglasses, eerily still like she did at the football game. 
Who was the man that she brought to the games? Why me of all people? Why did she start dressing like me and dye her hair like me? What was her plan to stop me? And why did it seem her husband knew what she was up to and was covering up her actions? Was there ever a guy at that Holiday Inn? What I do know is that there was not a porn ring being worked out of the music department, and if there ever could have been, I would have been the last person involved, let alone be the person running it. And all I can say is, ma'am, let's never meet again. I've been wanting to write to you for some time, but I kept putting it off. I have an experience from about four years ago now that I feel would fit your format quite well. For a little backstory, I was 17 years old, and at my third job, I wasn't the greatest at keeping them at the time, much like most teenagers. I was working at a subway in the town over from where I lived. It was usually a pretty decent job minus the minimum wage and the somewhat rude customers you can get at any job that has you dealing with the public. At this time, I had been working here for about four months and was on evening shift, meaning I usually worked 3 to 10 p.m., four days out of the week, with one other person and usually a third person would come in for our four to seven dinner rush. We had been needing some new people for a while, and our manager, called Delilah, had just brought in two guys for their interview to pick up their uniform and sign tax paperwork. They both looked to be around 20 and seemed like they'd be fine for the job. Later that week, I met the taller of the two. I'll call him Logan. He was a quick learner and seemed to actually not hate the job. After a while of working there, Logan and I became really great friends and are still to this day. The first time I worked with the second boy, I'm going to call Matt, I could tell that something was a little off. He showed up with his backpack and changed into his uniform in the bathroom, which, okay, I get that if you're doing something beforehand, you don't always feel like trotting around in your bright green subway t-shirt. When he came out and came around the counter, I noticed that both of his forearms had fresh and healed wounds from self-harm. Now as someone who has dealt with depression and anxiety of their own, I can understand those kinds of things. But I also found it strange that as he worked, he would do things in a way that would be purposefully trying to draw your attention to them. I didn't say anything to him because I didn't think that it was my place. I was 17 and dealing with my own issues, and I had no idea how to help someone else with their own. After about a week, I was working with another coworker of mine, and she was telling me about how her shifts with Matt were going. She told me that she let Amber know that she wasn't comfortable working with him anymore. I was confused because I knew he could be a little weird, but still could make a sandwich and wash dishes. She told me 
about the things that Matt had been saying to her. Matt seemed to be a compulsive liar. He would tell some of us that he lived with his girlfriend, and then the next shift would tell others that he was homeless. He told me that he had been in a gang before and that he had kids with three different girls. I would just nod my head and pretend to listen, not really interested in hearing his rambling. I just wanted my tiny check and to go home. The last straw with this behavior was when Matt showed up late to one of his shifts. My coworker I mentioned before asked him why he was late, and he told her, Well, I'm living in my car with my girlfriend, and I found some guy raping her, so I killed him. Then I came here. He then changed into his uniform. I should also mention that he was completely normal-looking, and not like he had just left some bloody crime scene. He started to do the dishes in the back. I should mention that at this time, we had just switched to using a new knife to cut the sandwiches so that the flavors wouldn't mix into the other sandwiches. So all the knives were brand new and very sharp. My coworker brought him the dirty knife container and told him to be very careful while washing them so that he didn't accidentally cut himself. If we cut ourselves with them, they had to be thrown away. She goes back up front and waits for a customer, still shocked at the obvious lie he told her so blatantly, instead of saying, I, I missed the bus, or something like any normal person would say. After that, she went back to check on the dishes and said that he would accidentally grab the new knives she told him to be careful with and cut his fingers with them, throwing them out, about ten of them. After she told me the story, I was informed that Delilah, our manager, had just called Matt and let him know that he was no longer going to be needed and to please return his uniform. We just kind of laughed about it and went on with our day. My coworker left and Logan came to finish the night shift with me. It was probably around 8.30 when the shit really hit the fan. It was dark outside, so I only saw someone walking towards a store with a hoodie and a backpack on, which is pretty normal for the area. I came back up front when I heard the doorbell go off as someone entered, and wouldn't you know it, it's Matt. He looked pissed. I was obviously already nervous, knowing how he's acted before, and now that he's lost his job. He takes off his backpack and sets it on the table across from the register where I'm standing. He starts digging through it angrily and asks, Is Delilah here? I tell him no, and that she would be here in the morning, though in hindsight I probably shouldn't have. My finger is itching towards the panic button under the counter as he's pulling the shirts and apron out of his bag. I can see part of a large butcher knife in his bag. I gently asked him what happened, playing dumb since I wasn't supposed to really know he got fired. He spat. She called and fired me earlier, so I just need to talk to her. I'll be back in the morning. He then tossed his stuff onto the counter and without a word, zipped up the bag 
and headed straight out the door into the night. I waited five minutes and called our district manager, Brian, and told him everything that had happened. He called the police. Sadly, I don't know what happened from there. I know Matt never came back to the store and none of us work there anymore. That night, I was actually scared for my safety and was fully ready to go into fight or flight if Matt had pulled that knife out. I've never seen Matt again since, and I really hope we never meet again. This happened a few years ago, but I still think about it to this day. I was on holiday in a city on the other side of the country, celebrating my 21st birthday with my best friend. We were having an amazing night with far too many drinks, and we ended up meeting two guys who I'll call Andrew and Billy. They seemed like really cool guys, and we were into them, so they asked us back to their hotel room, and we said yes. Obviously, a silly idea, but we were young and drunk. Things were great on the way back to the hotel room. We were all laughing and having a great time. When we got to the hotel room, there were two other men as well. I'll call them Ricky and JD. They were at least 10 to 15 years older than us. They gave us very creepy vibes, but we brushed it off. We asked Andrew and Billy who these guys were, and they said that they were colleagues as they were in the city for work, and the company paid for their rooms. So Andrew and Billy were in different rooms, but we were all partying in Andrew's room that he shared with Ricky. I got a little too drunk, and my friend put me to bed. She said that she was going to Billy's room and asked if I would be okay with Andrew, and I said yes. Keep in mind, my friend didn't have a phone, so we basically had no way of getting in contact with each other. Another stupid thing, I know. So I had been in the bed for a while with Andrew, just talking and chilling, and he says, I have to pop out. I'll be right back. I assume he meant just out of the bedroom, not out of the actual hotel room, but he left the hotel room to get something from Billy's room. Anyway, I was just watching TV in bed when the bedroom door opens, and I assume it was Andrew, but my heart sank when it was Ricky, the weird colleague. He walked into the room and sat on the bed. Keep in mind, I'm naked at this point, trying to cover myself up with the blanket. He said, you do realize that everyone has left you alone in here, right? It's just you, all alone. No one is here and no one can hear you. He continued to edge closer and closer to me on the bed. At this point, I was completely speechless and absolutely terrified. I was completely frozen in fear, and I had no idea what to do. I tried to say something, but nothing came out. He definitely sensed my fear, and for some reason, he just got up and left. A sense of relief flooded me, and I felt silly overreacting. 
That was until I heard JD, the other random colleague, shout, Get the fuck back in there. What are you doing? This isn't what we discussed. Get the fuck back in there and do what you were meant to do. Who gives a fuck about that whore? Just get back in there and do what you need to do. I ran to the bathroom and I locked myself in because I was so scared, but there was no way out. And the only way out of the hotel room was through that front door. I had to walk past Ricky and JD to get there. I was terrified. I had a million thoughts rushing through my head. And I had no idea what to do, but I knew that I had to escape. I decided my only option was to just leave the room and be ready to defend myself if things went bad. I threw my clothes on, grabbed my shoes, and opened the door, and Ricky and JD were sitting on the couch, close to the bedroom door. JD said, Hey, sexy, where are you going in such a rush? Come and join us here, right now. I said, No thanks, and ran for the front door and ripped it open. When I got out, I was so relieved, but I was still in a random hotel in a random city with no way to contact my friend. But I thought my best option was to go to the lobby and just wait. As I was walking there, I heard two men yelling down the hall. Where are you? We know you aren't too far away. Come back. Join us. You know you want to. It was Ricky and JD. I was absolutely terrified by this point. I began sprinting to the elevator. I could hear them gaining on me. I never knew I could run so fast, but I just continued and didn't look back. I felt like I was running forever until I reached the end of the corridor and my worst nightmare had come true. I missed the turnoff for the elevator. So I had to turn back and run towards where I hear Ricky and JD still yelling down the hallway. I found the elevator and got in. I could hear their voices getting louder and louder. I didn't want to imagine what would happen if they got into the elevator with me. The door finally closed after what felt like a lifetime. I thought that I would go down to the lobby and just wait there because at least there would be people there, so there would be some form of safety. I got to the lobby, and I realized there was no one in sight. No one at all not even behind the desk. I sat on the couch and didn't know what to do with myself. I was absolutely terrified that Ricky and JD would come to the lobby. Then I heard the elevator ding and the door open. My heart dropped. It was Andrew. I told him what had happened. He was outraged that his colleagues did that and took me to where my best friend was. Everything turned out fine, but it could have been a lot worse. So Ricky and JD, let's never meet again. I'm a young female, and in this story I was about 26 years old. I love to hike and being outdoors whenever I can, especially when it gets a little chilly during the fall season. I usually take my dog with me, because being a female anywhere by yourself is a risk. 
that day, I decided that I wanted to take my time and go on a longer hike, and I knew my chunky pup would not be able to do it. I also usually carry a go bag with me. It has pepper spray, a knife, a whistle, you know, the don't fuck with me pack. I left that at home and accidentally grabbed my other hiking bag. When I got there, it was mid-afternoon and there weren't that many cars around. And I was excited to be able to walk the trail without children or city people stopping right in the middle of the trail to watch the leaves fall. Looking back on that now, I realized that it was a huge mistake. So I set off on my hike, bag and tow, and knew that I wanted to take the extended trail that went down to the river. As I started walking, I passed a young couple. I said hello and kept walking. As I hit the crest of the hill, I could hear someone walking very fast behind me. I stopped and moved to the side to let this person ahead of me. It was a young man wearing street clothes, something that you wouldn't expect someone to wear on a hiking trail. I just assumed maybe he was trying to catch up with someone or maybe his girlfriend was making him hike. I brushed it off and continued on my way. As I approached the split in trails, I noticed the same man that passed me standing up ahead, this time moving faster and towards me. Being someone who's generally panicked and an assault survivor, I bent down to tie my shoe and grabbed a large rock, then picked myself back up. If this dude was going to try anything, I would go out fighting. But once again, he just briskly walked by me. I stayed there for a few minutes and waited to see if this was some sort of tactic to surprise me from behind. But I didn't see him, so I continued on my way. I was very familiar with this part of the trail since this was usually where my dog needed to take a rest. There were a lot of trees to hide behind, and a lot of large rocks with pockets underneath where I assumed small animals might live. As I got to this point, I heard leaves crunching behind me. I stopped, and the leaves stopped. I turned around, and it was the guy. I knew at this point I was going to need to get the fuck out and hide before he could find me. I took a deep breath and ran. I was able to get ahead of him and duck under a large rock. I sat there as long as I could, heart pounding, trying not to cry. I started looking for my phone and realized it was in the other bag. I panicked and I started thinking, how can I be so stupid? What are you going to do now? How are you going to get out of this? I could hear the guy come to a stop after trying to catch up with me, leaves crunching around the rocks and trees. I could hear him getting closer. I started to pray and hope that someone was watching me and was going to help me. Just as I heard him get right behind the rock, I heard two voices yell out, Sam? Sam, are you there? I think we lost you back on the trail. It was a young couple I saw at the beginning of my hike. 
I slowly got up from the rock and played along. Oh my god. Thank god. I thought you had left. I forgot my phone in the car and couldn't get a hold of you. Now standing between us was this man, staring. He looked at me, glaring, as he put what I could only imagine was a knife back into his pocket, and started walking away. As he walked over the crest of the hill, I collapsed. You read about heroes in the paper, and these two people, well, they were my heroes. They noticed that this man was pacing back as soon as I passed them on the trail. They had a bad feeling and followed me to make sure nothing happened. I filed a report with the police after that, but nothing came of it. To the amazing couple that saved my life, I can never thank you enough, and to the man that tried to attack me on the trail, let's not meet. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. This week you have heard Creepy Man Chases Us Down an Alleyway by Amanda Fear. Did I Create a Monster by Let the Light Inside? A story from a listener that asked to remain anonymous. A story from listener Maria Valkyrie. Pro tip, don't be alone in a hotel room with creepy men who have bad intentions by listener Pizza Bubbles. And finally... Why You Should Never Hike Alone by listener Sarah. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast, is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. If you'd like to hear your story on the show, send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. And if you want to get access to bonus episodes and other material, as well as exclusive merch, head over to patreon.com forward slash podcast to support the show today. I'll see you all next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Thank you.